I'm going to have fun editing all this. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're making your job mildly more inconvenient. Hard? I don't know. Uh, job security. <laughs> Is where my brain was going with that. Job security. Yeah, job security for the free gig. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But neither here nor there. Uh, Anyway. Going back to it, like, uh, I don't know. uh, Again, kind of sticking with the devil's advocate role, I suppose. I can understand wanting the ability to revise or revoke previous editions. That just makes sense to me, right? Like, especially we're 23 years in, 20, you know, 23, 24 years in uh, to the previous one. You know, most everything has some change or alteration over the course of two decades, right? Yeah. So it's not unexpected that they would allow themselves or adopt a new rule that would allow themselves the ability to to change I, going forward. I think the main reason why, and, and we'll probably learn as we go further into, you know, peeling apart what's going on. I think the main reason why people are upset is not that they're revising it because yeah you, I agree totally you should revise it to you know things are way different 23 years ago than they are today you gotta update the language you gotta update the lexicon make sure like any sort of loopholes that might have arrived like might have occurred because of you know technology or anything like that yeah sure you've got to fill in those gaps where it where they arise sure but when you say we're just going to change the language to be a little more transparent and all of a sudden you just rewrite the whole thing so that everything is different that comes across as disingenuous because you're you're not you're not just rewording things you're completely right rewriting the whole thing and i feel like that's probably why it wasn't written with the explicit it's going to apply in perpetuity because me being a little political here you don't want to try and base all of your stuff off of something that's several hundred years old you want to make sure that you update things to occur with the times and so that is present um so i feel like that might be one of the reasons why they weren't just like this is the ogl and it will be forevermore (laughs) it's written on Um, the stones exactly they carved in the stones they didn't even make a document of it so but like I understand updating it in that regard, but I feel like they went, I can't say a step too far because I feel like that would belittle it. They went like a mile too far. Yeah, there's with the deauthorization of the original as well, just saying like you cannot publish under this anymore. It puts creators and publishers like in a corner, like they have to agree to this new license. Otherwise, they can no longer make content for D&D 5E or what will be uh one D D or sixth edition if you want to call it that. Why well, call it one D D? Like sixth. It's fine. It's okay. I don't know. Why Wizards of the Coast <laughs> isn't making good decisions <laughs> right no. now, Michael. Well I would are I would say Hasbro and the execs at both, but No, you gotta throw like you you can't just bump it up the chain there. You're passing the buck there. You got to go with the actual company that's the one that's responsible for it here, not a parent company. You know, or because then we're going to say, well, I wouldn't blame Hasbro. I blame their their CEO. Oh, I wouldn't blame him. I'd blame the shareholders that are in the meeting there. That have, you know, fair. So then, in that case, who is publishing these rules? Who is saying who who is the herald? That is coming, say, these come from the office of, and then Hasbro, Hasbro CEO, Wizards Coast, that's fair. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely, well, I, I think the thing was obviously a mess in the first place, but kind of still sticking to my role. I think you can understand to a certain degree having to retire the old one if you're coming out with a new one, right? You can't have two OGLs out there, right? So if your plan is well, to shift to a new for a OG. Bit, though, with fourth edition. Y- yes, they actually. Com- they published yeah. it under a completely different license while the original OGL was still in effect. So it can be done. Is you that can't the smart have idea? Three Ooh. OGLs. That would be crazy. <laughs> it four? makes sense to me to consolidate everything under one heading and try to do that going forward. Now, whether or not the rest of the changes within that are worthwhile, we'll definitely get into. Okay. But I can understand consolidating everything under one heading, retiring the previous one that was out there and saying, this is the new law of the land. And then also, yeah, I can see your, your point, Jesse, about like uh, putting, you know, uh, you know, creators in a bind there. Cause like, well, I was making money off this. My business is based off this previous OGL. And now you forced me to agree to this new one. But conversely, it's not like, previously they were paying royalties or anything like that right so if you're making your money off of a free product or a free license then you have to shift to a new one that doesn't also seem like too much of an ask like if they had been under some sort of contract where they were paying royalties and then suddenly it's you're forced into a new one then i can understand because i'm like then i would be like well i'm giving you 25 percent of my bloody income so how can you just change it on me like this but if your business model is based off something that you're getting access to for free and the um intellectual uh i well the ip of somebody else and you're getting to you know build a business off of that it doesn't seem crazy that the owner of that ip then changes you know the kind of the structure of it and says well you have to go along with it if you want to continue to make money i i see what you're saying but i feel like it also you'd have to look at the history of the community involved with D&D uh, and D and D itself. D and D was never uh, was never supposed to be like this multi bajillion dollar industry. It was something that people wanted to spread with each other. It was uh, I almost likened it to a venereal disease. <laughs> I was um, thinking that too. I was like, honestly, "Where's it going with this?" It's it's not that far afield from no. Um, but uh, but the idea behind D and D is that it was supposed to be like a sort of. Uh, taking someone's creativity and kind of codifying it in a way to make it easier to communicate to other people. So instead of saying like playing imaginary games as a kid, like where you were pirates or cops and robbers or, you know, fantasy creatures or whatever, it was something like, instead of making everything up by scratch, why don't you have this basis for which to expand from there? Cause the whole oh. idea behind D and D is that like you were given this foundation and you're like, Okay, well, so you're now, preaching to the choir there because I started playing D anD D two dec two decades ago myself. So you're preaching to the choir that way. Well, however, yeah. however, a bunch of nerdy kids in high school getting together to play D anD D and have fun with each other and express their creativity is different than building a business and making money off of it. So my so my argument is more like if you've for those you know creators that are producing content and building and making money off of it, being forced to kind of agree to a new uh, OGL doesn't strike me as unreasonable because we're not talking at this stage. I know we're going to get into other stuff, but at this stage, for this this particular point, we're not talking about changes that hinder the high school students or you know college people or you know people like us that are just you know looking for a sense of community and being able to express creativity in in a fun way with friends. We're talking about 
like, oh, well, these people that are making money off of it have to agree to a new OGL if they want to continue to make their money. And that doesn't strike me as something that's hindering the community. And, you know, like Jess mentioned at the very start of this, uh, most of us regular everyday D&D players wouldn't even really be familiar with the OGL and stuff anyways, right? So the, the people that are really impacted by this aren't the community that you're talking about. Well, I mean, there's like, still... yes and no, it yeah. can affect how we consume content and what content sure. is available for us to use. Because if all of a sudden this wealth of publishers, like I said, there was about 20 publishers that were invited to this meeting to go over the new OGL. If those 20 publishers don't agree to it and then stop making content for D&D, Wizards of the Coast only comes out with one, maybe two content modules a year versus these 20 that may also be producing one or two that significantly limits the amount of material for people to play well that so that is that is very true however uh a i would point out that those those businesses that those creators that came there if they choose to withdraw and stop producing under the new ogl and for instance you know giving a royalties over as an example if they choose to just back out of that altogether, then all we are talking about is really a standard, regular, everyday business model. Like, this is why you don't have a, a Marvel movie being produced in theaters every single day because it's a bunch of people making their own their own stuff off the Marvel IP, right? It all has to come from the head source, right? It's Disney does it. And if we go back to the way things used to be, like Marvel, okay, Sony, you can make the Spider-Man movies and the X, and Fox, you can make the X-Men movies, and okay, Disney, now you own this stuff, so you, this is how we end up with these movies, because different creators agree to the setup. But I couldn't just go out there now and say, hey, Michael, hey, Justin, hey, Shane, let's all get together and let, let's make a, our own Incredible Hulk movie, right? And even if we crowdsourced and got a bunch of money for it, we'd get shut down because it's not our IP, right? So unless we agree to Disney's you know, if Disney came and said, you do it this way or you don't do it at all, then that's all that, you know, we're really talking about here with D&D is if they came out with a new OGL and say you either do it this way or you don't do it at all, it's really just standard business. But that's, that actually, that kind of drives home the point that we're making is that, yes, copyright is that, in that case, yes, we can't go make our own Incredible Hulk movie, but that is the rules that were previously set so that, like, Disney or, you know, before Disney bought them out Marvel, you can't just go out like because you will be properly sued for copyright because those are the baseline rules that were set. Everyone understands that you can't just go out and make your own Incredible Hulk. You got to make something like The Incredible Sulk, you know, uh, (laughs) which is a real movie. And it is on the level of the room. I have not seen it, but I've heard amazing, quote, terrible things about it. Exactly. Nobody likes um, me. It. I. I don't know the extent of it, but that it, it is an actual movie. I think it is called The Incredible Sulk or something similar to that, where it's like, well, we can't do copyright for copyright reasons. We can't do Hulk, but let's we do, can do a parody. Similar. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But with D and D, it was never that you would have copyright. It was always like free. Use it however you please. That is totally okay. And now they're doing a 180 and saying, now you have to suddenly pay. It was, uh, was... thank you for building us up and making us super popular. Now we're going to shit on you and take all your money for it. So thank you and you're welcome. Exactly. If that was the original intent behind everything, most if not all of these publishers would have just developed their own 
um, systems, or I don't no, know. No, they if- wouldn't have, because if they could have made their own systems off the bat, they would have. We're t- like, this is why we're building off the IP that exists, that something that was created by somebody else, right? Because they, they, they didn't. I couldn't go out there and say, "Let me make a my own complete, unique D and D style type game," right? I can, and I have ran campaigns through D and D, but I couldn't come up with something brand new myself. Is so taking somebody else's idea and kind of like getting the baton and running with it is totally different than like building your own thing from the ground up. Well, I, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is if, yeah, sure. Fine. Maybe a couple of them might not have, I'm playing a third party campaign that was actually made by someone that was a higher up in, um, blizzard during, uh, like an older war, uh, version of world of Warcraft. He split off and created his own thing. I think it's uh, War Chief Gaming. I don't know if that was one of the uh, third-party campaign developers, um, but like the way that they had, they had taken it as a base. I feel like if they could not have, they would have still made something similar. But they wouldn't have. I guess what I'm trying to say is that when the expectation is already there, when you take it back, it's almost like. Uh, like Halloween, instead of giving out candy, whenever kids come up to your door, you start taking their candy, even if that is not the expectation of everyone else. It's because of the 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 ex- the, the culture that comes around from it that if there wasn't decades upon decades of this like free flowing free exchange that gets suddenly curtailed and reverted, I feel like that is the main reason why people are really in arms. If they started off by saying, you know, even when they bought, even when Hasbro bought them out, it's like, okay, if you're making X amount, like now you got to give us, you know, 1% and start off something like that. Sure. I'd be, I feel like, yeah, a couple of people would have been upset, but it would have been something that like people would have eventually, you know, gotten onto like, yeah, we can use this or we can create our own stuff. There's plenty of like, as we know from the one-offs that we played on this channel, i.e. podcast, whatever. Um, that yes, there are people that will create completely different and completely separate uh, game pen and paper game mechanics that don't involve D and D at all. Sure, but when it's easier to use D and D as a basis instead of why why bother recreating the whole wheel when we already know that we can use the wheel? Um, so that's why I would say that's why a lot of people use. D&D as the basis and it, it sorry it took me a while to get to this point and I'm gonna have fun editing all that nonsensical rambling but the idea is that yeah of course you'd use the if the wheel's already invented and it's being handed out for free why the hell wouldn't you use it unless you want to do something completely inherently different like you I don't know want to use hoverboards or you want to use square so, wheels I don't know but then but, so then being the person that made the wheel in the first place right so I see your point. Hey, if this is already here, why the hell wouldn't I use it? It's being handed out for free. But then let's go on the other side of the fence and say, okay, well, I'm the one that created this system and I own this system. And sure, you know what? I want to share it. I want to spread this enjoyment. I want to have this community grow. And then two decades later, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people making a lot of money off this stuff. Uh, Hey, how about, how about I get some of that? Right. You know, like, can I get some of that? It doesn't strike me as, that's crazy because I, I don't think that it falls into your taking the, the Halloween candy analogy because they're not saying, give me all your money. They're just saying, can I get a slice of that pie? You know, okay. the pie that you're making off of the money that you're making money off of my idea, my IP. Can I get some of that? 
Sorry, okay, that's fair. They don't take all your candy. They take uh was it uh, 25% if you make if you have enough candy in your bag up to, to that effect. 25%, yes. yes. Yeah. But and I, I, I for the record, I think the whole thing was bullshit and I'm actually I, I, I'm, 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 I know <laughs> you are. I, I see you struggling trying to come up Dr. with Dr. Michael is like, like how, how how can I spin this? Well, I, in, I, it, you're as a political about, commentator because you're well, talking about things that you don't believe in at all. Well, and as we've talked about before, like my doctorate is in business administration yeah, and yeah. I've got a degree in finance as well. So I try to like put on that hat to think like, no, yeah, okay, from yeah. a business admin point of view, this doesn't strike me as, en- at least thus far, doesn't yeah, strike me as entirely crazy. It's not. Like when you think about a large corporation like Hasbro, they are losing money. They need to figure out how to recoup some of that loss so they don't continue to lose money and bleed out. From a business standpoint, yes, it makes sense that they would do this at the expense of your community. And yeah, uh, that's, this PR nightmare that has unfolded from it, I'm not sure it's worth it. That's but, when it, yeah, that's when it starts to fall apart when you look at the customer base. Because if you're if you're doing like yeah no I I like in other situations like if say uh, I don't know what Unreal Engine does for video games, let's say that they had the same sort of thing where they just gave out the Unreal Engine for people to use for free. Sure, I know that that's not the case. You have to spend a load a fuckload of money in order to be able to purchase the license to use Unreal Engine in your game, etc. Sure, but let's say that it was that similar difference. You know, because it's not a homebrew aspect, because not many people can just take the Unreal Engine and just work with it and create a fantastic game. Unlike D&D, which you can take very basics because most of that just comes from creativity, whereas Unreal Engine involves a lot of technical know-how. That I would feel like that would make a lot more sense in that regard, where if you had an open G, like an OGL license for uh, the Unreal Engine, and then you're like, well, we're coming out with a new version of the OGL or uh, uh, of the Unreal Engine, we're going to create a new licensing agreement for people to use that. And even then, I would still argue that it doesn't make sense to re- like completely invalidate all the previous ones. Like, yeah, you can use the un or the older, like pretty much outdated versions of Unreal Engine if you want. If it's free, sure, go for it. But people are going to know that it's not the new shit. Well, right? so okay, like, let me let me ask you here. All right, give me because uh, I'm not super familiar with it. Like, what's a third party company that's making money off the current OGL? Um, like a successful company that's making you know like a million bucks off of it or something. A million bucks, uh, Paizo. Okay, so Paizo let's take... is the creator of Pathfinder. Okay, which is an that, offshoot good. of D and D. Oh, okay. So let's okay, so let's yeah, think yeah. of let's think of Paizo here as an example. Then, so let me ask you. Are, from the community standpoint, is it possible that the anger is misdirected here? Because let, let's let's say that Paizo was in that meeting, right? They were one of the 20. They're in there. Hasbro says, uh, hey, this is the new OGL. This is the way it's going to be. If you're making 750K plus, we're going to start taking some royalties off that. And let's say Paizo said, to hell with that. No, we're out. We're done. You know, We're, we're going to shut down the Pathfinder stuff here. We're, we're out of this. Now, spoilers. from the community standpoint, yeah, right. yeah, spoilers, well, no, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, from the community standpoint, you're sitting there going, "Well, what the hell? I love playing these games. How the hell could Pazbro do this? This is such BS." But I would counter: is is that anger somewhat misdirected? Shouldn't the anger be at Paizo to say, "Well, yeah, you're making a bunch of money, 
off of their IP, just pay the fucking royalties so that we can keep playing the game and have the community grow. Like, shouldn't your should your anger be directed at Hasbro for wanting a slice of the pie, or Paizo for saying no? We don't want to give anything. We want to continue to make all of our money and not pay squat. And I would say maybe the anger should be directed the other way and say, yeah, just pay your royalties. You've made a, you've had a successful business for a couple decades now, where you've made a lot of money, didn't have to pay anything. Just give them their slice of the pie. You're still going and stay, you know, doing what you're doing. I, I feel like a lot of that would come from the justification. Like, if they were like, okay, we are struggling for business. We are going to go under. We are pleading with, you know, these third-party developers, help us stay afloat. I'm sure that most, if not all people, like, or third-party companies would help in that regard. But the thing that I, and and it's, it could, it honestly could be the way that they sold it. The way that it was presented, the fact that it was a leak, the fact that a lot of, like, people aren't signing on for it, the fact that, like, a lot of these people are now going to have to revive, like, change, like, reorganize. The fact that it was a um, an immediate zero to 60 real quick, the fact that there was no real, like, super, let's explain this, the fact that it was a leak, um, it was very overwhelming, I feel like, because I made this point very tangentially earlier where I was saying, you know, if Hasbro bought them out in 2000 and say, all right, we're going to start with a very low, you know, royalty. And then if we want, we can up it by, you know, a couple percent year after year. Sure. Whatever. That would be a lot more justifiable than just saying, Hey, like, okay. But we does lost- the justification matter? Like, cause from, I don't think that justification matters. Cause I think just, it's either <laughs> yes, it's okay. Or no, it's not like if I was to go around to university campuses and start, for whatever reason, charging to show uh, the YouTube shorts uh, and videos of uh, Disinformed and show all their after darks. And I started making like, you know, bank off of it, right? So this is your idea. You started this thing. You've produced all this content and stuff, right? Now I've come in there and I kind of do some funny editing. I add some music to some of the videos and stuff. And I kind of take what you've created and I do my own little spin on it. And then I start making bank off of it, right? Now I'm not, you know, living hand to mouth. So you're looking at me and you're not saying, well, if Michael was poor, if Doc was poor, then, you know, I'd, okay, you know, you can do what he's got to do to make, you know, ends meet. But if I'm making bank off of it, wouldn't you be like, hey, Doc, you know, pretty cool what you've done. You've, you know, kind of done some spin off the stuff that I created. I appreciate that. I see you're making a lot of money off of it. Uh, Can I get some of that? Well, uh, I think it's because they went about it in a very shady way. And there's other pieces of the new OGL that are just not not okay yeah, um, and we can get into some of that now and maybe it'll start making a little bit more sense in both the non-commercial and commercial uses of this new ogl the content you create is up for grabs for Wizards of the coast to use however they wish so for that to be a provision in non-commercial for people that aren't making money off of this just homebrewing stuff to use for their own games wizards of the coast can use that that's a problem for, for oh. me specifically. It yeah, states in there. Sorry, Michael, go ahead. No, uh, the only other counterpoint I was going to make, and you, you make a valid point, uh, Jessica, that we should move on because uh, otherwise we'll just be debating this the whole time. <laughs> uh, the only counterpoint that I would like to make to your analogy is that I do we know that these third parties are actually making bank? Do we know that they're 
like breaking even that would be the only thing that i would like uh, offer as a well if they're making like well they wouldn't apply to anybody making little right so it would it it would be irrelevant if you're unless you're making the 750k then Uh, uh, the company making 750k but who's to say it's one dude most of these people are just more are more than one dude that's just like let me create a campaign like these are things that are developed play tested sent out to other people who are recompensed for you know their troubles and all these other things so like which is why i don't think it would impact most everybody i think it would only impact like the paizo as an example here so i don't think i I think the amount of people that or the amount of companies uh and businesses that would be impacted by this would be pretty insignificant like and that's why i i have that's why i was asking the question of should the anger maybe be redirected towards you know a company like paizo now to the second point that you just mentioned uh yeah as much as i want to play devil's advocate there's no real way to spin that in a way that i could yeah no <laughs> I no could, yeah. i could swing that yeah i gotta <laughs> I, I gotta give you credit you <laughs> held on way longer than i would have ever done so like props to you for arguing that like i i say what say what you say about the whole conversation i feel like that that is a perfect use of your degree is all the arguing that you just did just now uh, so put that in your resume. <laughs> yeah, right up until it's like, oh, they just want to steal the ideas too and have the, and do whatever they want. I'm like, oh, well, that's a yeah, that's, that's a tough one to. Uh, let's see, how uh, can I spin that? <laughs> so to answer your question, no, I don't think that the anger should be redirected at anybody else other than Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. Well, if they stopped um, at the first part, if they stopped maybe, at the first if they point, stopped at the well, first then part, everything I said before, I hold on to, but. <laughs> But um, (laughs) in the document, and this is the same wording for non-commercial and commercial, you own the new and original content you create. You agree to give us a non-exclusive, perpetual, irrevocable, worldwide, sub-licensable, royalty-free license to use that content for any purpose. That's the wording? That is the wording. All your fanfics are now canon. (laughs) <laughs> perpetual as well so like and, and where they can yes. yeah and where they can sub license it so they can then make money off off of it in m- multiple ways so yeah, yeah and they it, can do it without giving credit or any kind of compensation yeah, royalty free yeah mm-hmm. and this was a point of concern brought up by the community and dnd beyond users when that digital tool set was purchased by wizards of the coast last yeah. spring that was mm-hmm. a question that came up and was asked and they got told no we would never Almost a year later, it turns out that was a lie. Yeah, that's that's why my D&D group is going to go pen and paper by the next time that we're meeting because we don't want that stuff taken from us. Like, uh, I know several people already in my group have deleted and moved all their characters off of D&D Beyond. I haven't paid for mine, so I don't feel like I need to yet. But eventually, I will move my characters off, create their own cu- character sheets, and not paid, you know, Wizards of the Coast a single dime for it. I also will admit I haven't paid them a dime in years, nor do I plan on it. And but... you're why they have to do this. I mean, <laughs> I have $500 worth of D&D books sitting on my shelf. Well, I've never paid for D&D Beyond, and I don't plan on doing so. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a lot of stuff. I have a problem. Yeah, so the... I'm looking because I'm trying to find my fourth edition because that was the last book that I bought from them. <laughs> the legal wording that you threw out there, yeah, that that one's definitely a 
I can't, I'm trying to think of a way to like put a spin on it on Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast, like from their you, side. But that one, I can't. You can stop playing Devil's Advocate if well, you want. Well, no, to. I'm you just like, no, I always try. No, no, in my head, I always try to, anyways, right? Because I, okay. you know, in general, I try to be like uh, empathetic and try to understand the other point of view. This one is really tough, though, just because, uh, the first one I could definitely see, and I'm like, well, hey, guys, I don't think it's too much to ask for a slice of the pie that, you know, when you're using their IP. Something like this, however, is a lot more difficult of a sales pitch simply because uh, you are coming from a huge company like Hasbro. So if you can start, you know, sub-licensing other people's IP you know, or things that they've created, rather, then you could just undercut them, right? You could say, hey, we're going to come out with our own Pathfinder stuff now. And how much are your books? Oh, $59.99. Okay, we're going to do it for $49.99, right? And just do what Walmart did to all the mom and pop shops, right? Come into town, uh, undercut them on the prices until they go out of business. And then as soon as like Pies was out of business, oh, now our Pathfinder books are now $79.99, right? Mm -hmm. So I can definitely see some major concerns there because they're going to get to make a bunch of money off of it. And they're big enough and, and have the size and resources enough to operate at a loss if need be just to get rid of the competitors. Very true. And this is a very sore spot for me as someone who makes digital art and posts it online for the public consumption. Um, and, at the same time, this is all happening with Wizards of the Coast having to deal with the reality of AI scraping for art images and then mm. just warping yep. them and spitting them back out for other people to make a profit on. So it's it's just like reminding me very much of that. And I'm having like a trigger moment here. It's funny you mentioned that because I was literally as I was talking about that, I was like, this actually reminds me of the AI controversy with the art. Yeah, so I can definitely see why this would be a trigger for you because like I said, this this one is pretty indefensible. I can't even think of a way to try to spin this as a, as a good idea. Like, I don't know how that got through, like, the drawing board, because I'm sure somebody in the room when they were drawing this language up, somebody must have said, how can we sell this, this though? Like, yeah. you know, what, what sales pitch? Because, like, we talked about earlier with the, uh, well, hey, you can't put stuff as um, Patreon exclusives, right? Because, and, and in reality, all the business people are like, well, that's because we want that money. But somebody in the room would say, yeah, but we can't say that because that sounds terrible <gasps> because we want to make sure that everybody has equal access. We're all about equality yeah. and, and inclusivity. Oh, beautiful. Perfect. Sell it. This, though, I'm like, how do you sell this one? Like, who in the room would have been like, oh, this is a tough one to sell. Anybody got any ideas? And I just hear crickets. <laughs> yeah. And that's why they worded it the way that they did. Because <laughs> no one can come up with anything better. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's just... I that part of it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. It's I was angry. Terrible. Mm -hmm. It's garbage. But that's why it's a giant ass controversy. You know, mm -hmm. that's why we're talking about it today. Yeah. It's, it's... And a lot of people are talking about it. Even people that don't make D and D content, like there's a a lawyer law channel, Legal Eagle, that did a whole. Yeah. video about it linus tech tips was talking about it oh i think neil gaiman game gaiman gaiman made a statement about it as well wow. just it's it's a hot topic right now Wait, wait, quick question is it gaiman or gaiman i always go gaiman i've heard gaiman i've heard the poll. okay yeah so same with same with that so when you first said gaiman i was like okay good so i, I was right and then you switched it and i was like oh crap i'm still left with the confusion if he ever becomes a guest on this podcast, he can tell us in we'll person. Ask him. 
Yes. That's right. Um, but now he'll reject the thing because he's like, you guys don't even know how to say my damn name and you want me to come on your show? Like, but It'll that's why a... we need you, Neil. We exactly. need to know. <laughs> come on, coach. Put me in. Oh, no. But yeah, going back to the other problem that people have with this, it is the royalty structure. So the OGL was supposed to go into effect on the 13th. So just last Friday, that was Friday, right? Yes. Dates don't mean anything to me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But that's when the OGL was supposed to go into effect. So anything that uh, revenue made would have been cataloged and recorded to potentially pay out royalties starting January 1st of next year, 2024, for those that were using the commercial license piece of OGL 1.1 and the main thing that people were really pissed off about was the Kickstarter aspect of it Uh, Kickstarter campaigns are subject to 20% royalty and then if you use a different crowdsourcing site say like GoFundMe anything that is not Kickstarter would be subject to 25% royalties so for a small creator trying to get their you know campaign module published 25% 20 percent that's detrimental you're, oh your so this doesn't just apply so this doesn't just apply to the people making like this this is like small time even if i only did 5k they would get a cut is that what you're saying that was my understanding of it and again it, it bounces between legalese and plain speak so i could have just been like way off i don't have a law degree so that's understandable but like the fact like i feel like it even drives home that point with the fact that you weren't able to correct like completely understand what is going on the fact that it is purposefully obfuscating like it is it is written in such a way to be confusing makes it a lot easier for them to justify well, that's whatever any contract what... i'm not gonna I shade mean, yeah. them for that that's literally every contract I anybody know. signs I, I go look at your that. lease documents and tell me you get that thing from start to finish oh no i made sure <laughs> of that i made sure of that because i i don't like landlords especially ones that like to charge me 300 dollars to drain my bathtub which i have had to do it's i understand <laughs> it's all that beard hair least. sir <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's very itchy when I shower, but the I understand that that is the baseline for contracts is they're supposed to be you know obfuscating they're supposed to be confusing as shit so they can justify whatever the hell they want. That doesn't make it right. Oh no, I agree. I'm just saying that I'm not going to throw any shade at them for having a complicated contract that Ugh. us laymen and us you know poor regular folks have difficulty understanding. Normies. I, yeah, I suspect that it's probably only people that would make a lot of money that would be impacted by this solely because it would cost a fair bit of money to go through and like make sure you're, you know, getting your cut out of everybody and that would that would take a lot of work and so I suspect that it probably wouldn't happen to most people just because it would be very difficult from like Hasbro's point of view and very uh, in effect, like inefficient from like a financial st- standpoint to try to go out there and like, just make sure that you're chasing down everybody to get everybody's cut of the, the, the pie there. So, well, yeah. probably and there's like provisions in here saying that if you're going to sell licensed content, you need to register it. You need to get a creator badge that displays with your content. And, and that's how they keep yeah, track. Yeah. Of- yeah. That's, 
yes, that's part like, of them keeping track of it. There's also yeah. a tier structure for this loyalty, royalty, not loyalty, but uh, loyalty program. Uh, if they would I'm like sure to that's how they can sell it, though. Yeah, it's like, yeah, no, yeah. it's not a royalty program. It's, it's a, a loyalty, loyalty. program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that... Hasbro has been around for years, a lot, decades even. I almost said centuries. I don't know. I don't care. But they, <laughs> if they have something to where they want to milk every single penny out of there, they will have an easy way to make sure that everything is cataloged in a way that they can be like, hey, you want to sell stuff through us? You're going to have to pay up. And and I would also, like, considering their stipulations for using content that is cre- that is homebrewed where they can just use it at any time use anything related to D, we can take your content i feel like if they're wording it that way that they can take any sort of homebrew campaign then they can they would have no hesitation to take any sort of like nickel and dime any sort of creator be uh, like because why not like if they enforce it if they don't enforce it if they enforce it sure it's one of those things like a lot of uh laws where it's like yeah you know you can only go like there's a speed limit of 65 miles an hour and you see people driving 75 on the freeway sure they're not enforcing it but they could so i feel like it's that idea where they'll put that in their you know ogl to where if they feel like they can they will enforce it. If they don't care, they won't. Yeah, I'd have to dig into it because like, the only stuff that I really followed through with this was the stuff that was broadcast and, and CBC wrote about, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Um, and my understanding of it was that they were only going to get that like large percentage uh, for people that are making 750K US, right? So yeah, in that, I if... And that's so that's my understanding of it. Now, if that's not the actual truth and they're going after like, you know, every little, you know, bit, then I totally disagree. Really, the devil's advocate bit there uh, also falls to the wayside there because that's a really tough sales pitch. But if it's still the 750K USD, then I'm back on board. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, that's a fair, if you're making that kind of money off of it, then give them a slice of the pie. Then I'm on board with it. The only thing, so, like I said, assuming that it's the 750K, I'm on board with them there. I'm on board with them retiring the previous one. I can get behind, mentally, I can wrap my head around that. The only one that is indefensible to me is like claiming ownership of all of like third party stuff. Like that one there is just, well, that's complete BS. Yeah. And um, with, with the royalties, like when they did an FAQ about it when it first came out, they made it seem like, yeah, if you are making over $750,000 in revenue on, certain things because there are things that are eligible to be considered for royalty like what you have to pay royalties on and things that aren't but when you're reading this document and you look at the tier structure and like their reasoning behind it there's wording in here that doesn't sit right with me and is kind of like up in the air specifically with the intermediate tier so the initiate tier is you have registered at least one licensed work but you haven't generated fifty thousand dollars or more in gross revenue from the ogl commercial products in the year uh the intermediate tier is the same thing you have registered licensed work but you're making between fifty thousand and but less than seven hundred fifty thousand the expert tier you're over that seven hundred and fifty thousand 
in the comments of it, the why, they say they're trying to minimize the burden on their creators as much as possible. You'll see below that if you're in the initiate tier, all we need from you is some basic information on what you've created and what you're offering for sale. Once you work your way to the intermediate tier, we'll ask you to provide annual financial reporting so that we can see whether royalties are due. Okay. So that's that reads to me like a question mark. You're making it, over fifty thousand dollars a year. We're gonna see whether or not you owe us royalties. It's it's putting the foot in the door. That's what I'm seeing because mm-hmm. you gotta register, you gotta do this, you gotta make sure that you're reporting all this. And the fact that they can change all this, that number, that seven hundred fifty K, they could change it and then just give thirty days notice. That's yeah, and the fact that you have to like register, like you make any sort of money, you have to register. You make, you know, between five k and seven hundred fifty k. Now you have to register and also give re- like income reports to them as well. Like, well, I, again, I mean, like, I can understand that though. Like, you're making money off of their product, essentially, right? Like a spinoff that you're doing. So I can understand that and them wanting to keep track of it, especially to have some sort of management of how their product is getting used or uh, kind of like making sure that it maybe falls within a certain parameters. You know, you don't want some sort of like, you know, D&D after dark that gets a little too far, you know, off off kilter there. Maybe you want to nip that in the bud before it becomes a, some sort of controversy or something. So I can I can definitely understand that. I think that if it's 50 to 750, that's a pretty big freaking gap. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's why the wording of it, it's like they use very specific wording and there's a reason for it. And it's to their benefit, not anybody else's. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And there's also another piece of this that just makes no sense to me. So they talk about um, reaching the expert tier means you will pay us royalties on your revenue over 750,000. If you're doing incredibly well, you might level up to a custom license, but they don't say what incredibly well means mm, to them or what beauty. this custom license would entail. I like level up. Like, hey, you could level up. What's up? You know, like. Oh, I bet. I, yeah, I bet yeah. a person. I bet a person got high fives from everyone yeah. in that room <laughs> when they said, "Let's level up." Oh man, like, he did it! He set the thing up. That's oh, right. <laughs> yeah, but there, there's no mention of how you go about getting a custom license, what that entails. Nothing else in this document at all. So again, their whole like, we want to be really clear about things. I almost want to be like, well, if you get enough experience, that's how you typically level up. And then I'm like, well, what the hell does that mean? Uh... Yeah, the, I mean, (laughs) with the exception of having to close that gap, because like, or if it's a hard set number at 750, but if it's going to be a range, then having it maybe a little higher than 50, like, you know, 250 to 750 or something like that, I'm, I, I can wrap my head around a, Hey, 23 years in, we need some changes and changes one, you know, that we discussed at the start in length and changes three here, you know, these are happening. I'd be like, okay, 23 years in. Okay. These changes make sense with regards to the 30 day window. While I personally would be like, well, that's kind of messed up here. Cause like, that's not a lot of time. I could also understand, well, you got to give yourself a way to, to change it. And when it comes to like, you know, leases and stuff like that, you usually just have to give a 30 day notice chances are they're not going to change it regularly because it wouldn't make a lot of sense for them. 
so I could assumptions. They, yeah. they they did a drastic change now. That no, no. I, like I said, I I could kind of get behind all of that. It's really that second point that you discussed, though, Jesse. Like you know, when it comes to it, like that's where it's like, man, that's just like bad faith. Like you know, and you can just claim the the work of somebody else's as your own because that goes against everything that I'm trying to give them the credit for. Right? I'm saying, hey, yeah. you have this IP, so you've created this product. Other people are benefiting off of it. So, hey, Hasbro or Wizards, like, I agree with you. People are benefiting off of your work. You should get a slice of that pie, right? But then that second point we discussed, it's like, well, that's like the reverse, though, because like these other people have now created this stuff and you're wanting to just, yeah, and you're just wanting to own it and make all the money off of it without having to give them anything. And that's where I'm like, oh, but see, like, if I give you the benefit of the doubt, but then you come around and you like play hypocrite. And that's Ooh. where I'm like, yeah, that's that's BS. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me a second time, shame on me again. Fool me a third, fourth, fifth time. Oops. You know, like <laughs> I that's how I feel like it is like when when you when you kick a baby, you know, which I feel like <laughs> win, they're win. doing. Not if, not if, just when, you know, like as you do, you know, you're walking through the well, grocery you, you, store you, you kick, and you're you, trying to reach the bread and the damn you, baby's in the way. So you just got to punt them down the aisle. You pop the child, the baby kicking cherry. Once you pop that, everyone expects that you're just going to do it again. Oh, there he's going. He's kicking the baby again. Like. <laughs> See, there oh. you go. Like, I feel like they are they are opening a can of worms with their this whole setup and the fact that like I would be a little bit more like okay with it if they didn't have tears that went down to you made two bucks. Someone paid you two bucks for this campaign. Now you gotta register it and make sure everything's all copacetic and all that other stuff. And it's like, why? Why do you care if some dude was like, hey, can I use your campaign? I'll pay you two bucks for it. Well, no, because all of a sudden now I got to register all this other stuff. Like, how are you going to enforce that? How, like, do you, does this person, because they got two bucks, have to register? Yes, technically, according to the OGL, they have to do it or else they will be going against it and they could get in. There's legal ramifications. Will that happen? No, but there's that ambiguity of it. And that's yeah. why I was making that point earlier. Like, if they just had that base like you said how it was reported to you initially everything above that you got to pay some cut asinine but in other industries that is the expectation sure fine go for it that's how a lot of third parties make money on steam playstation you name it right they pay a licensing ability same thing for using physics engines you pay a licensing, you pay out, you buy outright the ability to use Unreal Engine, whatever, then you can make your product, but you've already incurred some sort of loss. Sure. But when it's this sort of encompassing and the fact that they also, and I won't, belitt- I won't like drive home the point of two that you're already in disagreement with because we're just going to sit here jerking each other off about how this second part is. The well, I don't hate thing. this idea. Tell me more. Disinformed <laughs> like, after dark. <laughs> tell me more. Like, does she have a car? Um, but yeah, like this. I hope you ordered bad... those uh, anal beads off Etsy there for going down this path, sir. <laughs> it was $54. It wasn't worth the cost. Um, also, I didn't include see... shipping. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even bother with it. I don't use Etsy, so I don't know oh, how I'm the website works. Oh, I'm shipping this right so. here. Oh, I'm <laughs> shipping it right up my ass. Um, 
that's the point. Plot twist. Uh, but like, I, I feel like if it was just that base thing, it would, I, I'm sure a lot, yeah, there would be some, you know, upset. There would be, because like, you're already, you already are betraying the community's trust by being like, everyone can use it. It's supposed to be for everyone. Because, and this is a point that we haven't really brought up, um, that was brought up when my uh, D&D group had this conversation on Sunday. Um, people already, I'm, I'm an exception, people buy the source book. People buy all these other things. I didn't because I didn't really need I'm to. people. Exactly. You, yeah. <laughs> people buy the source book. I bought the fourth edition source book because I felt it was necessary. I haven't because I, this is, I've started replaying fifth edition uh i play it once a month and i've been playing it for seven months so do i need to buy it probably but am i no most people that play it on a regular basis they will buy it because using a physical copy is way easier than using dnd beyond using like trying to find uh, pdfs of it online all these other things it's a lot more complicated when you have something that's physical that's right there that you can use and i uh, is is that sound pretty understandable like something that you do in a way uh Jessica Yeah and like part right. of it for me too is I collect D&D and TTRPG stuff so yeah. I have hundreds of dollars and hundreds of dice um I have all of this all of yes the source books for the rules I have some campaign modules and i have some supplementary material i i like dnd it is what some people would call a hyperfixation like all of my time of revolves around dnd i yeah. watch live actual plays i listen to podcasts like it's it's my thing <laughs> it's what yeah. i do so yeah. i i even for like our games, I'll have a physical book with me but mostly i use dnd beyond because i do find it to be easy than flipping through my paper. I have I have both. So I have my binder full of stuff. I have DMD Beyond on my tablet. I've got my books. All my dice, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. But in that case, like, even if you play third-party content, third-party campaigns, like the book that you had shown earlier in the episode, you still have all... You still have purchased all of that content from Wizards of the Coast. It's not like okay, here's this third-party content, and you're like, well, I don't need anything else. I'm totally okay. Most of the campaign books, at least in my experience with, uh, I think it's War, War Chief Gaming or something like that, with Ouroboros is the campaign, is the is the third-party um, thing that I use. Absolutely, 10 out of 10 would recommend. But anyway, using that, it's a supplemental book. It's not, let's rewrite all the rules for 5th Ed and then sell that. They're like, these are the additional things. It's it's essentially it's its own module. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's like, well, we already got the chassis over here. Now let's add an engine. Now let's add mufflers or, you know, I don't know, trick your ride, pimp your ride. That's what they're doing, essentially. They're taking a normal car and they're pimping it out to make it nicer. Yeah, and like supplementary material, if you look at what I have here, which is Taldori Reborn, which is specific to Critical Role, and even if you look at Griffin's Saddlebag, they published a book recently that's just all magical items that you can use in your campaign. Like, it's just extra stuff. It's not necessarily D&D lore or mythos, but it's just different things that you can use while you play D&D. 
Yeah. So they're nice to have. Yeah, they're additional things where the average person, because I would say that I'm not average, put in whatever jokes as you will, sure, (laughs) fine, whatever. I deserve them. But in this case, like, it is all supplementary. You still want the source books so for easy reference whether that's through D&D Beyond because I know I have a free account but I know other people pay for subscriptions and stuff like that through D&D Beyond yeah you either use D&D Beyond for the source material or you buy them yourself either or you still have purchased you still have done a financial transaction through Wizards of the Coast and I I don't know if we're going to get to this but a lot of the reactions that I've been seeing for these third-party companies is, fuck you, we're going to do our own thing and make our own, you know, Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about some of it okay, cool. uh, as well, because Wizards messed up and they were silent for a long-ass time. They've and... done fucking goofed. Yeah, they, 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 they fucked up in a lot of ways. Yeah. But they have backpedaled now, haven't they? They they have since backpedaled a couple times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like to Dr. Michael's point, we we can talk about what this actually looks like for creators and publishers. Like in reality, what is covered, what is not, what are they going to have to pay royalties on? Uh, we can talk about Critical Role because it is the content creator and publisher I'm most familiar with. It is the one That's I have yeah. the most data on and I love them. So, you know, I'll talk about them forever and always. Because they also <laughs> created their like I, I've only seen titles of new uh, of articles, so I don't know exactly. But didn't they create their own controversy in some sort of way, shape, or form? Or am I misreading what I saw? Kind of. It's surrounding okay. the OGL because they've been silent on it. People are like, "Well, why isn't Critical Role saying anything? Uh, why haven't they okay. dropped them D and D Beyond as a sponsor?" Y'all, if you're under contract with you a sponsorship, you cannot just hold be like, to the contract. I, you hold yeah, to that right. contract, and there's probably NDAs involved in that. They cannot speak out against D&D Beyond or Wizards of the Coast because of this contractual obligation. And yeah. people got really mad about it. It's like, you're not using your brain, though. Think about this critically. They ha- they're they under contract. They cannot say anything. They did make okay. a big statement. And they have had a good working relationship with Wizards of the Coast and D&D Beyond for years. Yeah. D&D Beyond was one of their very first sponsors. And they do have two campaign guides that are covered in D&D branding. This is one of them, uh, Call of the Netherdeep, and there's also the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. I'm sure they have like some deal with Wizards for the interchangeable IP between Critical Role's IP and uh, D&D Beyond's, yeah. but they've but worked also... together a long time. Chris Perkins yeah. has been on the show, and he's one of the lead designers for D&D. Yeah. yeah, even if it's not an NDA or something that's like contractually keeping them uh, or forcing them to keep their mouth shut, there's just the economic incentive of like, hey, we have a good working relationship with these yeah. guys. Let's not like, you know, speak out on it. Yeah, you yeah. shit on the bed on one sponsor. Why would another sponsor yeah. want to, you know, put money in you? Like, I totally understand that. Like, uh, there's several podcasts that I listen to that have done voice like uh, their own personal ads for better help. And BetterHelp is starting to get in limelight for being slightly problematic. And they also were problematic when they started as well. So it's like, but they still air those ads because they are contractually obligated to. You can't just say, well, you know, they did a problematic and so we have to drop them. Like, as cool as that would be. We already cashed the check. (laughs) 
yeah, as cool as that would be, that would disqualify them from ads or from, you know, sponsors and that's their livelihood and is not getting into the idea of a livelihood and all that other cool stuff. Cause that's not the podcast for this, but like you can't go back on these contractual agreements because if you start crushing those, you don't really have these agreements in other ways of income. So I understand that. I thought they did something slightly problematic and that's why I wanted clarification but if they were just silent on their thing, that isn't something. All I that could is judge to say for. is that Bones and Liquid Death, if you sponsor us, we will never betray you. Exactly. <laughs> no matter how problematic you two are, which you've never been. The only thing I can think of with Critical Role recently that may have been slightly problematic was other than their silence on this, they did eventually come out with a statement last Friday in support of creators. It was very vague didn't really say anything about the OGL or Wizards of the Coast. And, you know, people were like, they should have said more again. Was that after Wizards had already released their statement backpedaling? I I think this came before. It was the same day that Wizards made their statement backpedaling. Oh, so they probably already knew. So Yeah, so the two parties had already probably talked. Like, hey, we're going to release this. Okay, cool. We can come out and say, like, oh, we support the creators knowing that you're about to come out and say that. Okay, that makes sense then. I can't fault them for that. It's a business at the end of the day. As cool as it would be for them to just live with, you know, do their D&D without having to worry about any sort of income whatsoever, that's not how the world works, unfortunately. So they do need sponsors. And if that means they got to sign contracts, they got to sign contracts. I can't fault people for that. Yeah, but unfortunately. thinking back on it, Michael, I think what you may be referring to was um, one of their campaign introductions for their current campaign, uh, originally they did like an archaeology like theme. They're all dressed up in like nineteen oh, forty ish outfit archaeology shit, and people were like, "What? What? What was the thing?" I think that's the the something about imperialism and white supremacy, uh, and they had that, yeah, yeah, they changed okay. their intro for their videos because of it. I, I think that's what you may be referring okay. to. That might be. If that happened recently around the same time as the OGL, then that is probably what I... That was reached. before... Um, that was last year that that happened. Oh. Um, but I'm sure people brought it up again because, you know, they were being quiet about it. And so they're like, this mm. isn't the first time they've been problematic or something like that. I'm I'm sure. Okay. People that's do what enough. they do. With, yeah. Wait, does that mean that we're canceling Indiana Jones now? Yes, actually, okay. that is what that means. <laughs> they should have um, been canceled before the fourth movie, and I'm just going to say that and put that on the table and be done with it. Uh, and I mean cancel, <laughs> I mean they shouldn't have made anything after the third movie, and that's all I'll say. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> but Critical Role has had massive success. They did start out as a Pathfinder campaign transitioned to fifth edition to start streaming, and I talked about that briefly the first time I was here. Um, but they went on to become a 100% creator owned media company because it was important to them to be able to be in charge of their stories that they were telling and be able to go in whatever direction they wanted to without answering to higher ups. Uh, they also have their own nonprofit called the critical role foundation, as well as a publishing company, Darrington press, which did publish the Taldori reborn campaign guide that I have over here. Um, not all 
revenue made by Critical Role has been made public and not all of it would even count towards what is considered eligible revenue under the OGL. But I Fair. think it's safe to assume that they are in the category of content creators that make more than $750,000 a year. Uh, some of the numbers that I have from like their revenue comes in the form of the October 2021 Twitch data breach. It revealed that they took the top spot of payout, earning $14 million in a two-year period. Nice. Yeah. A lot of money just from Twitch. Uh, They also have a YouTube channel. They have about just under 2 million followers and then 500 million views. And since the content on it is mostly long form, it's just rebroadcasting of their streams, which are anywhere from three to five hours long, depending on the episode. Those are the kind of videos that YouTube pays out the most money for because they carry the highest number of adverts. Mm. Now, it is important to note that in the open gaming license, videos don't count as covered works. It's only... Role-playing games and supplement and printed media and static electronic file formats. They say it does not include anything else, including but not limited to things like videos, virtual tabletops or VTT campaigns, computer games, novels, apps, graphic novels, music, oh. songs, dances, and pantomimes. You may engage in these activities only to the extent allowed under the Wizards of the Coast fan policy or separately agreed between you and us. Did you say and did they write pantomimes they did that's so specific i mean i i understand novelizations because there are a lot um they're not visible but i have i think at count about 30 uh novels of the dragonlance series because i was super into that uh 10 some odd years ago uh, and i kept them all because they're decent books uh, so the that actually is a lot more interesting to me that they are only like they're only focusing on not media in terms of written media for novelizations. They're not uh, in regards to video games or other non-static media. They're only focused on campaigns and the you know and supplementary material. That's so bizarre. I feel like. If money was an important aspect, why not go after be... the video? That's fourteen million dollars in two years, right? Well, <laughs> that's mean, what I was like... saying earlier, though. It might be more just having control over how your stuff is actually getting utilized, so you can nip particular controversies in the bud, or make sure that it's all falling within a particular family friendly, family friendly way, or something to that effect, right? Uh, that that would make sense if you had controller oversight oversight Oversight. yeah that's a better way to to phrase it the better word for it yeah oversight over things like say communities to D &D episodes or other sort of like harman quest uh i don't know if harman quest is specifically D D, but like that sort of similar vein of people sitting down at a table like if there's any sort of mention in D D, then you gotta like well then now you have to pay some sort of aspect to us some sort of financial recompense for even having that as an like a, a part of your video game, you know, novelization format. Like I, I if if money was such a big deal, like yeah, I would be like, okay, royalties from community, royalties from 
I think Rick and Morty did a and esque style episode at some point. I can't remember off yeah. the top of my head. The, uh, the other for part, that, like, but it'd be a lot so harder weird. to get all that too, though. Like if you're if you are having oversight of everything, and when people are coming out with like third party content, and you're making them like register and have a license and stuff, then you know you can track that. But if you're like trying to track, oh, what are they putting on videos or what music is getting made off of it, that would be a lot more difficult, I think, to keep track of anyhow. But but also then that's just like that's putting such a hand hand like limiting people so much by like uh, handcuffing them. Uh, in the way they can interact with your media. And I think that maybe that's it, is that they don't want to have oversight of how you interact with the medium. They just want to have oversight of the content of said medium. But they're already doing that with... My voice cracked. That's how passionate I am. I'm going through puberty again. Um, (laughs) But they're already doing that with any sort of campaign because campaigns aren't just something that you sit down and hash out. Campaigns are typically things that you work on as, as you play the game like you're you're scripting everything down that's how um Ouroboros the the third party campaign that I use it is entirely based off of a version of D&D that they had played and then they had just written out and fleshed out more parts of the world and they're like this is now the cam the, this is the module essentially that they sell um and I I can see uh even for content creators like art like you know that's that's a way of engaging with the media or, or with with the medium essentially uh is is any sort of reaction like taking taking d and d and be like, well, fuck, let's make our own campaign that's a reaction to media like uh, taking you know your character from a d and d campaign and like, well, this is how I visualize this character. I'm gonna draw them and put them on deviant art that's which i did exactly (laughs) like that's something that a lot of passionate fans do with the fandom that they're associated with like you look up any sort of original work and there will be a group of people a group of dedicated artists that make art of it i mean shit you look at our podcast we have at least two fantastic artists that have created art for us and we make sure we attribute wherever we can Obviously, as as people can see, the 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 logo that we have is courtesy of the person we're talking to right now, bad artist Jesse. Absolutely fantastic art, but like that's still her engaging with us as a medium. So any sort of engagement, the fact that they want to pick and choose what they're like, what they want to either take ownership or monetize, is already really suspect that they're just focusing on these campaigns alone. It seems like but they're not focusing. The, Sorry. The wording of it, though. They say you can engage with all those other things under their fan content policy. Mm-hmm. And one of the first rules that they ask you to follow with that, rule number one says one word, F-R-E-E. You can make fan content that you share with the community for free. Free means free. And while Critical Role isn't charging for these videos, there are other content creators like dimension 20 that are you have to pay for a dropout subscription if you want to watch any of their campaigns other than the first episode of each campaign they've also broken off into a new storytelling venture called worlds beyond number that will be a patreon exclusive it's one tier five dollars but that's how you get access to their content so then it comes into question does that violate this fan content policy? And if it does, what consequences could they face? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I think 
so this whole controversy, with the exception of owning the third party uh, material that's produced, is vaguely reminiscent of something that happened with a fan base uh, and that I am like super into as a few years back, which is Star Trek. I am a, a huge Star Trek fan. I've gone on the cruises uh, and there's all sorts of different paraphernalia around my house. Um, you know, so for a long time, uh, you know, Star Trek was just the original series for, you know, 20 some odd years before next gen came out. And then even after, uh, DS nine and Voyager ended, uh, you had a good, like 15 years of no content of Star Trek, right? Like nothing new coming out. And to fill that void, the fan base created their own stuff, right? You had novels getting produced. You had uh, like Star Trek continues, which was a great. Yeah, which was a great, like, fan-made, like, picking up, like, episodes, literally, of, like, you know, just fans getting together and, like, creating sets and producing new scripts and doing all that. And there was, like, movies getting uh, produced, uh, just, you know, fan films and stuff. And Um, it was so good. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, No, uh, the only reason why I'm adding anything to it is because I know a lot about fan, like, the beginnings of fan culture. Star Trek was one of the like original fandoms that helped encourage fanzines. Like yeah, they were yeah. one of the main like they were probably one of the bigger fandoms that helped contribute to that overall culture of people writing fan fictions and sending them to a person that would collate them into one whole magazine that would be distributed to everyone who contributed. That is like Star Trek has so much influence over fandom as a mm-hmm. as a as an idea how we perceive fandom now that like I can see like what you're what you're saying is is true and it goes so much more than that like it 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 it's so difficult to explain how uh how integral in, integral it, I, I I don't know if I'm using the word right. <laughs> I don't I'm know. I'm picking up what you're putting um, down. I'm picking but up yeah, what you're yeah, putting yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, like when you say Star Trek is an important aspect of how we perceive fandom, it it most certainly is, and then some. Sorry, I just well, wanted to add further to what no, you're saying because I appreciate that. Give it more uh, gravitas. And so, similar to what you know, Hasbro and Wizards have done just in the last month, uh, or we're attempting to do, I guess. Uh, CBS and Paramount did a few years back, where they like. It, for the longest time, nobody cared if you were producing like fan films and fan TV shows and novels and stuff in the, within the Star Trek universe. It was great. Uh, and it was really cool because some of these fan films would actually get some of the actors from Star Trek to like appear on them. So it added like an air of legitimacy to them as well. Right. Cause huh. you'd have, Oh, this is like a real Star Trek actor, like appearing on this fan film. This is fantastic. Um, but, you know, a few years back, like now, six, seven years, when Star Trek kind of – when CBS and Paramount started to, you know, revamp Star Trek and start kicking more money into it with, like, Discovery coming out and Strange New Worlds and all the the series that have come out since, um, they locked all that stuff down. And they said, okay, that's it. From now on, you can't produce any of this, like, fan film stuff. And they just shut it all down, which resulted in, you know, a lot of these productions that were in process getting uh, shut down and then a couple of the ones that were already – getting made but hadn't come out yet having to like do a bunch of alterations so that it was like star trek-esque but no longer star trek um and so i kind of like uh liken that to what's happened with the the wizards bit here which is why i think i was empathetic for some of their points because i 
was for like, you know, with the Star Trek stuff, I was like, well, I loved all the fan film stuff and, 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 and community that was getting built around it. But at the same time, uh, sure, Paramount, do what you got to do if it makes you get more money so that you're funneling more money into the Star Trek fandom itself, like by creating new material that's like official and has the big budget behind it. If you want to like stop all these little productions so that all the attention goes your way, I'm on board with it. Whatever we need to do to make Star Trek bigger and better and more accessible to more people, uh, which is why I was kind of okay with some of the stuff, but never did CBS or Paramount say, okay, we now own those fan films. <laughs> That were made. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where I'm like, that's a line like drawn way too far for me. Like I where I'm just like, okay, well fuck you then. (laughs) As a survivor of a previous (laughs) cultural appropriation of of the fandom, uh like I I see where you're coming from now. That's right. Yesterday they came for our Star Trek. Today they came for our Dungeons and Dragons. Tomorrow they come for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They came for my Star Trek and I said nothing. That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's oh. what I was thinking. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I interrupted. Go, go ahead. No, um, going back to what is covered and what is not. So the videos yeah. as of right now don't fall under the OGL. Again, that could be subject to change within 30 days. We don't know. Uh, but for now, they're not. Uh, Critical Role also receives money via donations, and they do donate 85% of the money earned from them to various charitable causes, but they do keep 15% to help fund the team. OGL does not consider donations to be eligible revenue. So right now they got two things going for them that they potentially will not have to pay royalties on. Uh, Critical Role has a shop, shop.criticalroll. They sell merchandise such as dice, clothes, pins, books. A percentage of those profits also go to charities. And this is all stuff for their IP. They don't sell any random Dungeons & Dragons stuff on their site other than the two campaign guides that I showed you that were D&D branded. They do sell yes. those on their website. Um, but other than those two campaign guides, I don't think anything else that they sell would fall under OGL eligible revenue. Uh, Darrington Press, however, would. They do the Taldori campaign guide. Um, they will potentially release more campaign guides under this OGL or 1.0A if they keep that in place. Uh, potentially other open game licenses that are in the works. Who knows? But um, if they do stick with D&D's new OGL and agree to it, then any new campaign guides they publish under it will be subject to royalties. Uh, They do have a partnership with Dark Horse Comics as well that produces their comic book series, which is the Legend of or Vox Machina Origins, excuse me, the Tales of Exandria and the Mighty Nine Origins. Again, those are their IP. It's based on their characters, their original story. I don't think they, that would fall under the OGL as it's described now. Again, subject to 30 days notice. That, <laughs> I don't know because it is something like, did it explicitly exempt characters and was only about the setting for campaigns? Because if there are characters that are specific to campaigns, like say if they distributed their first campaign that they did and then had their characters in there as like non-playable characters, then that would technically fall under the the stipulations that you were mentioning where, you know, 
if it's part of the campaign, it's now owned by Wizards of the Coast <laughs> slash Hasbro. So that's like, well, where does that go? Like, you do if make it's... an interesting point. Like, where where do we draw the line? Because the characters from Vox Machina are NPCs in this campaign guide. You can interact with them. They have now been printed and published under the OGL. So, yeah, that might be gray area then. Yeah, in that case, Wizards of the Coast can and most likely might, depending on how greedy they are. Um, well, could, because they've since... So so all this stuff has been kind of kicked Life, to the wayside, right? Yeah, the license back well, yeah, provision yeah. specifically, I know, Fair. has been called out and walked back. Um, yeah. Also, now that I think about it, in this book in the the license agreement that's on the back page there is an addendum to the license on behalf of critical role llc so they have a special ah. license with wizard of the coast already that which, now that i'm looking at it which makes sense they they've already done i mean they've gotten several modules or, or supplemental materials published with the D stamp so i can understand there being an exception to them but, but then yeah, but like actually, that's how a- you're but like, like others well yeah, i'm like, actually wondering now that's because now that i know that like they're willing like you know, wizards was willing to make like addendums for them for instance i wonder how <laughs> many other people did because if i was a company and like i was making you know decent change you know decent coin off of uh this stuff even if i thought okay well this you know ogl lets me do it all you know this this is great i'd probably still want to like you know cya right like cover my ass like and just let hey let me like get some like you know contractual language with them just in case anything ever changes i'm good still so i i wonder if that's they're probably not the only ones that have some sort of like side agreement that provides them some sort of umbrella coverage to to be protected from a change to the ogl in general possibly but I, it's hard to say of, how yeah. many do yeah. and what happens to the ones that don't then well exactly. going forward i bet you a whole bunch of them will even if like even with these current changes having been abandoned if i was like everybody now i'd be like uh eh, you know what let's just how about we get an addendum here <laughs> well i feel like and and we can lead into this unless there is more that you wanted to say about the ogl in particular we can lead into like what other people are doing and just like touching upon I know you said you were more familiar with Critical Role as yeah. opposed to like other ones, but like I, I would presume that there are people or, or publishing companies that have said this is what we're doing in things that are like easy to say without going into too much detail. Yeah. That- so, okay. yeah, I just wanted to like lay out a base of like how this could potentially fe- affect publishers and creators. Like for Critical Role, they have revenue coming from everywhere. They have the animated series that started last year as well, and that's another significant revenue point for that that um, brand. But other publishing companies don't. That's all they do. They publish books. So <laughs> Critical Role may not be affected by it so much. And when all this OGL nonsense first started, the Critical Role community was like, oh my god, this is going to affect them. I'm like, I really don't think it is. Not very much, though. Not as much as other publishers uh yeah. and in response other publishers have come out and made statements of their own announced their own rpgs that they're going to be doing because the leak happened on the fifth i had mentioned that wizards of the coast has been silent on it they were silent for almost a week 
they came out on the 10th and said, we'll make a statement soon. And then didn't make a statement until the 13th. But in that time, all these other publishers came forward. So Cobalt Press, which is actually the third largest D&D publisher, made a statement on the 10th that they would be creating their own core fantasy TTRPG system. And they said that it will be available, open, and subscription-free for those who love it, codename Project Black Flag. So I know there's some history buffs here, Dr. Michael. <laughs> the history and symbolism behind the Black Flag, just like knowing that information, it's a major fuck you to Wizards of the Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, for those playing the home game, as Shane likes to say, uh, the Black Flag has been used since at least the 1400s, and it's most commonly associated with piracy. It was designed to strike fear in the hearts of their victims, uh, but it was also a show of defiance that the crew no longer held allegiance to the state, and it came also to mean give no quarter, so in a time of war or battle, you plan to kill the enemy on the spot. That being said, I, I would hope that anybody that you know would start to utilize that new setup that they're planning on coming out with then would learn the lessons from this and not necessarily trust anything to remain free and accessible and without change going forward. So we'll go into that as well. Cause I think oh. that's what people do expect. And it is because of Paizo. Um, there's a, another company too that made an announcement make that they're going to make their own RPG on the 11th. Uh, it's MCDM productions uh, they described their new RPG as cinematic and tactical. And I believe both Cobalt Press and MCDM Productions are with Paizo on their initiative. So as we mentioned before, they are the creators of Pathfinder. Their statement came out on the 12th in support of the original OGL. They backed Ryan Dancy's claims. I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. Uh, the original creator of the OGL that they cannot reverse this. This was meant to be perpetual and irrevocable, and they know because they were there when it was written. And they said in this statement that while other people may not have the resources to fight it in court, they absolutely plan on doing so if it's necessary for the community. Uh, In this, they also announced that they have a plan to create a neutral open RPG license in collaboration with other companies. Uh, There's a whole list of them. I'll I'll read you part of their statement. But they won't own this license. They want to have it stewarded by a nonprofit foundation that specializes in open source material like the Linux Foundation. I don't know if the Linux Foundation will ultimately be the ones that end up owning Mm -hmm. this and stewarding this uh, open game license. They're calling it ORC. Uh, what does it stand for? I had oh, it somewhere, shoot. but um, my um, DM told me on Sunday. But uh, open resource something. I I, I think I might. I, I know the O is open. Obviously, it uh, is the oh. Open RPG Creative License, uh, yeah, also that, known as Work. Yeah. So cute little thing. Um, but but I'll read you their statement, and it it goes over the the third party publishers that have also signed up onto this this little thing. And it's, it's filled with sass directed towards wizards. Hell so yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, in that statement, they said, we hope that you will continue to support Paizo and other game publishers in this difficult time for the entire hobby. You can do your part by supporting the many companies that have provided content o- under the OGL. Support Pathfinder and Starfinder by visiting your local game store, subscribing to Pathfinder and Starfinder, or purchase of the core rulebooks 
uh, Core Rulebook Pocket Edition or Pathfinder Beginner Box. Um, they said you can also take advantage of the discount code for Open Gaming for 25% off checkout of those <laughs> items. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> support Cobalt Press, Green Ronin, Legendary Games, Roll for Combat, Rogue Genius Games, and other publishers working to preserve a prosperous future for open gaming that is both perpetual and irrevocable. We will be there at your side. You can count on us not to go back on our word forever. Oh. <laughs> well, again, I'm pretty sure... If you went back 23 years when the first OGL was rolling out, you probably would have heard some similar oh, language. Yeah, yes, so, that it, to, it's, uh, it's 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 still it, fair. Once one baby has been kicked, that's right. The likelihood of a second baby being kicked is a lot higher. So, so without Shane being present, I'll still have to reference a little wrestling here and go with a you know I'll follow Stone Cold Steve Austin's lead here. DTA, don't trust anybody. Uh, I'm also not not entirely sure how I feel if. If in this orc, I think orc is a cool name, but I'm not sure how I feel about an acronym if the letter R is an acronym. Like if it stands for RPG, <laughs> I'm like, you know, the acronym itself contains an acronym. I'm like, I don't know how I'm feeling when you're about trying that. Trying to make something sound <laughs> cool. Yeah. You know, you gotta, that, you gotta that fits sacrifice the theme something. of the product exactly. that you're trying to license. Yeah, for. no, I, I like it. But, I just was like, I wait, mean, the R is the acronym as you know, well. Role playing game, all hyphenated, so it's one word, so it counts. And that's part of the reason why they want not to be the stewards of this. They don't think that any one company should own this license because you know they get bought and sold by a bigger company like Hasbro. Hasbro can come in and change it whenever they want, mm-hmm, exactly. as we're seeing now. No, so. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Especially getting like a foundation to steward it. It would be fantastic if Linux took over for it. Like, oh man, I like you said that, and I got goosebumps. I was like, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, I, oh, uh, I, I thought I was you know a programmer back in the day, and I used Linux distros for a while because I thought I knew what I was doing. I don't, uh, but it was it's really cool that sort of open license thing to where like you could. We could right now take the Linux, the operating system, and design our own distribution of it right now and not have to deal with really any sort of uh, copyright aspect because that is the whole idea is that it is open source. So like an organization that is similar, doesn't necessarily have to be, but similar to Linux is absolutely like phenomenal. That, It'll that be is, interesting like, to see. The steps. What happened just because D and D is already so cemented in in the cultural kind Zeitgeist. of Zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah, that's what, exactly. And it, it's just so well known. Like it already has that like branding, right? Like, especially when you think of like role playing games, it's very much like a Kleenex or a Q tip, right? Like you don't if I, if I if I'm about to sneeze, hey, do you have a Kleenex? I don't ask, you know, do you have a tissue? I'm I'm referencing the brand paper. itself, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it's so much like that. Like if I think, oh, it's a tabletop, you know, role playing game there. Like I'm, I'm not going to go through like, you know, this long winded brand. It's just like, oh, you know, I'm getting together to play D and D or something like that. Just as a general, like, you know, thing that most people will be able to understand. And especially with it, you know, getting name dropped in stranger things, uh, which is not yet finished. So, you know, it'll get kind of thrown, thrown out more there. I believe there's actually in the next year or two there's both a dungeons and dragons movie getting released but also yep. a tv show the dungeons um, and dragons movie is actually set to come out in march uh, yeah, it's, it's called it's, honor yeah. amongst thieves among thieves it's got, one of those. it's got a couple of 
big names in it too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's a TV show that they're they're producing now that I saw the article they, announcing. They did announce the TV show as well, but like you look up Dungeons and Dragons, that TV show and the movie it's not what comes up it's everything surrounding this ogl nonsense nobody's talking about it no of course but my but by the time those those items come out especially like you know down the line the tv show and stuff this will kind of already because this just happened so it's definitely going to be in the headlines now my point being though that with like a tv show with movies with it getting name dropped in different uh you know mediums like you know different tv shows and, and whatnot in general i just don't know how I don't know how much room there is for like new things to kind of come and steal a good chunk of that market. So as opposed to just like falling kind of back in line under like, especially if they've abandoned any change to the OGL and they just go back to the the old way of doing things before they kind of created this clusterfuck for themselves. Uh, I suspect that it might just go back to business as usual, just because so many people are familiar with D and D and it already has such a, a lengthy history of like almost 50 years strong. Speaking of, the 50-year anniversary is supposed to be next year. That's mm-hmm. when when D&D is supposed to be released. However, they've alienated a large part of their customer base. They've left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And I will we'll go over more next, okay. just the, the timeline of events. But I'm not sure with everything that's happened that they can recover from this. Really? And I believe that is going to close the cover on this stellar installment of the Disinformed Podcast. We thank you all for being here as per usual. There's a link tree down in the show notes that you can go to if you want to find all of our irrelevant or relevant socials. And you can follow us there. And please, if you haven't already, uh, subscribe to the show because it helps us out. And of course, it gets new episodes winging your way every lovely Monday morning as soon as they hit the airwaves. And then, of course, if you could like, subscribe, rate, and review, we would love to hear from you. And beyond that, we hope that you have a wonderful week. And so, for the Disinformed Podcast this week, I'm Shane. And I'm Michael. I'm, Michael. <laughs> I'm Jesse. And zippity zoop, we're out of here. 